we go through the seasons in lives together, that we love each other together, that we encourage each other together. It's what church is supposed to do. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Amen. Can I get a little light up here so I can see my notes? <laughs> there we go. That's good. That's good. Well, it's great to be here, especially after going through a hurricane down there in Florida. Came right through our little town of Paisley. We sheltered there at the church. We're fully generated. And so how many nights were we sheltering, hon? Five nights, we cooked over 800 meals. Um, the uh, local restaurant where we eat in Umatilla, Florida, uh, they got hit by a tornado and lost their roof, so they called us up and they gave us what was in their freezer, which had to be cooked right away. And so we were frying fish and shrimp and chicken till we were blue in the face. And... Uh, but we, we did feed a lot of people, and it was uh, uh, no one got hurt, and we're thankful of that. And a couple people had a little roof damage uh, in our church, but that was about it. And uh, a lot of trees came down, though, uh, a lot of big, big oak trees. Uh, so, um, but uh, I'm just thankful uh, that we made it through the storm. Um, Today, before I was coming up here, my, my, my buddy who's preaching for me down, down in Florida, his name is Steve, and, uh, and uh, we were having lunch together the day before we flew, we flew out, and as, as I left for lunch, Steve said, uh, I, didn't, I didn't really hadn't decided what I was going to preach on, but Steve, um, Steve said to me, before I left, he said, brother, preach Jesus sweet and hell hot. And I said, well, that's a good idea. And so that's what I hope to do today. Now, I want to read you a quote this morning to start off of. This quote is from an atheist. An atheist. Consider this. An atheist wrote these words. He says, if I firmly believed, as millions say they do, that the knowledge and practice of religion in this life influences destiny in another, then religion would mean to me everything. I would cast earthly enjoyments as dross, earthly cares as follies, the earthly thoughts and feelings as vanity. Religion would be my first waking thought and my last image before sleep sank into me, sank me into unconsciousness. I should labor for its cause alone. He said, I would take thought for the morrow of eternity alone. I would esteem one soul gained for heaven worth a life of suffering. Earthly consequences would never stay my hand nor seal my lips. Earth, its joys and its griefs would occupy no moment of my thoughts. I would strive to look upon eternity alone and on the immortal souls around me, soon to be everlastingly happy or everlastingly miserable. I would go forth into the world and preach to it in season and out of season, and my text would be, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose 
his own soul. Those are the words of an atheist. And I think we need to take them seriously as Christians. And so today, we're going to study the personal testimony of a man who is engrossed in the flames of hell. So I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn them to Luke chapter 16, starting with verse 19. And I'm reading out of the New International today. And here's what it says. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. So those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to here. He answered, then I beg, beg, and a lot of versions says, I pray thee, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will also not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham, Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Now, I suppose some of you may be thinking today, are you going to tell me, preacher, that that parable about Lazarus and the rich man uh, records the literal words of a man in hell? You bet, because it's no parable at all. All right? It's the literal account. It's a literal account of two men. All right? Two men who lived right here on earth. One was a beggar, and the other one was rich. And they both died. One was buried, and the other one was left for the dogs. You know, 45 times in the Gospels, the word parables is used either before or after Jesus spoke them. You know? But in today's text, the word parable does not appear anywhere within its context, all right? There is no comparisons made here, no conclusions. It does not take the form of a parable at all. There are no allegories made. It is not a parable. You know, that it's also interesting to note that in any of the parables Jesus spoke about, no proper names were used. But today, the proper name of Lazarus is used. Look at verse 19 again. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. 
And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat which fell from the rich man's table. Even the dog came and licked his sores. One man here is described by his dress and eating habits, and the other is described by his proper name. Listen, if there were no rich man, if there were no beggar named Lazarus, then folks, this book lied to us. Jesus lied as he spoke if this was not true, and Jesus is not a liar. Let me illustrate this by a present day situation. Let's say that I, I gave you this illustration, uh, that I was speaking to you, and I said, oh, last week in Paisley, uh, we had this event go on, and we had, we had 20 people saved, and one of them's name was Bill Jones, and Bill Jones was the worst drug addict I ever seen, and he came to the altar, and he put his face on the altar, and he was instantly delivered from his drug addiction. Oh, you would rejoice and praise God and everything like that, but then later I told you, well, I just made it up. What would you think of me? Huh? You see, this is no made-up story, folks. This is no parable, all right? This story, when names and places and experiences are recorded in such detail as they are in this text, folks, it is not an illustration. This passage is in God's Word for one purpose, to reveal to us the terrible agonies of the damned. And regardless of how poor or how miserable you are in this life, that anybody can be saved. Now let's examine the scripture a little further. Look at verse 22. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died, and he was buried. Listen. Take notice here that it doesn't make any difference who you are, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you're important, whether you're not, whether you're a man or a woman, boy or girl, doesn't make any difference who or what you are in this world, you have an appointment with death, all right? The poor man, he begged breadcrumbs coming from the rich man's table. He wore a loincloth for his clothing. He had dogs as his nurses. And guess what? He died. And this rich man, he had it all. He was clothed good. He ate good. He lived good. He had everything life could give him that you could imagine. But guess what? He died too. You see, you, you can be assured of one thing, that death is an appointment that all of us are going to keep. Now, we can break a lot of appointments in this time, our lifetime. Anybody here ever been stood up on a date? Huh? It wasn't very fun, was it? Was it? No, but you have a date with death that you, that, that, that you won't get stood up on. I can promise you that, okay? You know, uh, you know someone could leave you at the altar. But you have a date with death that's going to leave you at the altar, all right? Listen, this date with death is fixed. What did Abraham, uh, 
No, uh, it was um, uh, Benjamin Franklin said there are only two things sure in this life, and they are what? Death and taxes, that's right. You see, regardless of who you are, whether you're rich or poor, wise or unwise, or bond or free, or learn or unlearned, or down and out, upside down, inside out, doesn't make any difference. You have an appointment with death, and you are going to keep it. Second, I want to show you that both these men were beggars. Uh, Lazarus, he begged for the crumbs off the rich man's table to keep his body and soul together. But the rich man, he had fine clothes, he had money, he had food galore. How could he be a beggar? Well, one minute he was a millionaire, and the next minute he couldn't even obtain a drop of water for his parching tongue, you see? And I want to tell you something today, folks, that every man in this room is a beggar. Every woman in this room is a beggar. You see, we're going to beg at one time or another, whether in this life or next, we're going to beg for mercy. We're going to beg for the salvation of our God. And it's, you better do it in this life. Now, I want to show you something else in this text. What happened after they died? Lazarus, the angels carried him off to paradise. Despite the fact that he was all sores, despite the fact that he was probably skin and bones, the, price, the, the fact that most likely he never had a funeral and the dogs just finished him off. He was carried to heaven by the angels. But the rich man, it said he was buried. Now, folks, he probably had the finest funeral around. All right? He probably had a hearse with six to eight horses. He probably had a tailor-made casket. He probably had flowers galore. And he probably had a four-preacher funeral. You know, Dr. Sounding Brass, Professor Tinkling Cymbal, the Right Reverend Modern, and, of course, Mr. Civic Leader was out there to tell what a great man he was in, in his community. But... Folks, I want you to remember something, that it doesn't make any difference what anybody says over your dead body. You're either going to be rejoicing in heaven or you're going to be roasting in hell. And to say that you don't believe in hell, that doesn't make any difference. I have a lot of people tell me as I witness that they don't believe in hell. Well, you see, like I said, it doesn't make any difference. The Bible says there is one, and let God be true and every man a liar, you know. You see, folks, just because you don't believe in something or just because you believe in something doesn't make it true or doesn't make it false. You know, two plus two equals four, right? Let's say none of us believe that. Let's say there wasn't one person in this room who believed that two plus two equals four. Well, let's, let's, let's take it further. Let's say there was not even one person on this earth that believed that 2 plus 2 equals 4. Would that make it true? Not true or whatever? No, of course not. Making, believing in something or not believing in something does not make it true or false. I was, I was talking to, the, to, a, to a, a, a Jehovah Witness one time. You know, Jehovah Witnesses don't believe in hell and neither do the Adventists and neither do the Mormons, you know. And I was talking to a Jehovah Witness that come to my door, and, and uh, I started talking to him about hell, and he said, well, we don't believe in hell. 
I said, well, do you believe in traffic lights? He said, what do you mean? I said, do you believe in traffic lights? I said, do you believe they hang there? Yeah. When they, when they turn green, do you go? Yeah. Do you turn, when they turn red, do you stop? Yeah. Well, then you believe in traffic lights, don't you? He says, yeah. I said, well, let's say you didn't. What would happen? He said, well, probably sooner or later I'd get killed. I said, yeah. But let's, if you didn't believe in one, and it says, I says, you don't believe in hell either. Doesn't mean it isn't real. Just because you don't believe in it, just because your prophet said there was no hell, the Bible says there is one. You know what gets my goat? There's some vile creatures in this world, folks. Drug addicts, murderers, prostitutes, whores, pornographers, and the list goes on and on and on. And you know what? One of them died, and guess what? <laughs> They'll get some preacher to preach them straight through the pearly gates. Huh? You know what I'm talking about? I remember this story of a, of a dad, and he is walking through the graveyard with, one, with, with his son, and the son is looking at all these tombstones. And he's never been in a, in, in a cemetery before. And one tombstone says, asleep with Jesus. Another one says, at rest. Another one says, with the Lord. Another one says, in heaven. Another one says, with the angels. And the boy looks up to his dad and he says, Dad, where are they buried the sinners in this town? <laughs> Folks, here's what I've come to find out. I've come to find out that a man preaches his own funeral while he's alive. Amen? You know? And preachers should preach the gospel to the lost at a funeral instead of lying about the dead. Look at verse 23. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus at his side. Now, you see, the rich man died. The rich man was buried. He opened his eyes in hell, and he looked up, and he saw Abraham with Lazarus in his bosom. You see? Now, I want to tell you something today if you're here in this church and you're lost, okay? If you're lost today, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you are not born again by the Spirit of God and assured about it, all right, well, then the moment you die your eyes will open in hell, all right? The dead in hell, according to this text, have eyes and tongues and mouths and minds and a memory and a body. And then he called up to him, and he said, verse 24, he called up to him and said, and this begins the testimony of a man who was unfortunate to wake up in a place called hell after he died. Now, let's look, look at the rest of verse 24. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. Now, let me tell you something. You may be lost today. You may be a hard, hard sinner. You may, you may curse God to a tomb. You may... Take God's name in vain, wholesale. You may be the meanest and toughest person in town. You may brag that no preacher will ever get you to your knees. 
That may all be true. But I got news for you. Five seconds after you die, you're going to be in hell. You're going to be begging in mercy, for mercy. You're going to be praying for mercy. And you're going to be begging for just one drop of water. And if you're lost in your sin, let me give you some good advice. You know, drink some water. Taste some water. Appreciate it. Enjoy it. Slush it around in your mouth. Because the place where you're going, there is no water. You know. Uh, anybody here ever go tubing? Boy, there's some places in Florida that are great tubing. And, and uh, we have these rivers down there, and they're, 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 they're crystal clear rivers, you know, like Wikiwachi. And we go down there, and we kayak, and we tube, and we swim in the river, and we just enjoy the water. It's 72 degrees year-round, and it's beautiful. And sometimes you're swimming around the manatees. Well, let me give you some advice. If you're headed for hell this morning, go down to the Wikiwachi and enjoy it, because where you're going, you'll never have another opportunity. You see? Multi-millionaires in hell would gladly give a million dollars a drop for water. Then the rich man cried. One drop, he cries out. The tip, one tip, fingertip, one moist little fingertip is all I want, for I am tormented, tormented in this flame. You see, the mo modernists, you know, today claim that, well, you know, the flame isn't really a flame. You know, it's just some form of, uh, uh, of punishment. It's representative of something else. Folks, that's stupidity. You know, if the Holy Spirit says it's fire, it's fire. Amen? You know, the rich man died, and he opened his eyes in, in, in hell. It, it, it parched his tongue, and it made him thirsty. Now, I know what some might be thinking. You mean this God, this God of love, this God of compassion would send his, his children to hell? No, God's children don't go there. Sinners do, you see. God exhausted heaven to pay sin debt. Jesus paid the price for our sin. So whosoever will can be saved. Listen, folks, God loves us. God loves us, and he, he wants us to live forever with him in a place called heaven. And we all know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life but guess what folks something else is also true even though god loves us we're sinners and the bible says the wages of sin is death you see god is a holy god god loves us and doesn't want to punish us but because god is infinitely holy just as he is infinitely loved he must punish sin. Now, for either any of us, that would be a dilemma. We would ask, what would we do? I love him so much, I don't want to punish him. But yet, because I'm holy and just, I have to punish sin. You ever have to spank your kids? It isn't, a, it isn't fun to do, is it? The last time I spanked my daughter, of course, she's 40 years old now, but I can remember the last time I spanked her. And I remember that I cried real tears when I spanked her. And, and folks, that's a dilemma for us. But guess what? It's not a dilemma for God. 
For what did God do? He clothed himself in flesh. He came to this earth. He lived a sinless life, and he died and suffered our sins for us so that we could have eternal life. You see? God doesn't send anybody to hell. You know, when people go to hell, they go there in spite of it. And if you go there, you're going to cry out for mercy. So why not do it today? You know, why not cry out to God today? Look at verse 25. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. Now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. You know? Listen, folks, he said to him, remember. You see, when you go to hell, you're going to take your memory there with you. You see? You're going to remember every time you had a chance to be saved. All right? You're going to remember every time you heard a church bell ring. You're going to remember every time you heard the minister preach. You're going to re remember every time you heard that invitation song, Just As I Am, without one plea, but that thou blood was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. You can remember every time you sang that. Listen, folks, heaven, I believe, is as wonderful as an infinite holy God can make it. And the Bible says that we cannot even imagine what it's going to be like. Folks, I get to thinking about what heaven's going to be like, and I, and I shiver because it's beyond my imagination. You know what? You ever open up the Bible? And you ever get a fresh revelation of God? And, and God is revealing something to you out of his scripture for the first time? And just all of a sudden, you just sort of shiver all over. And, and, and you shake, and, and God is personally revealing himself to you. Wow. How many of you have ever had one of those? Huh? Feeling. You know what? you're going to have an eternity of those, and it's even going to be better. You see, guess what? We're never going to run out of coming to know God on a different level. Why? Because God is infinite. We're not. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Hey, in heaven, you're never going to be bored. I used to think heaven's going to be a boring place just sitting there and praising God for all of eternity. No, it's never going to be a boring place. It's going to be something where something new and exciting is going to happen to you in your relationship to God, every second, every moment, for all eternity. Wow, that just blows my mind. I can't, can't even imagine that. But you know, I believe even though heaven is such a wonderful place, I believe hell is as equally terrible. I believe heaven is as wonderful as a loving God can make it. But I believe hell is as bad as a... Holy God can make it, you see. And so, folks, Jesus suffered for our sins for us. We don't have to. Why would we even think of go, going there? Now, look at here. There is no time element involved. One now is comfort, and the other one now is tormented. You see, immediately after death, the lost go to burn in hell. They remember the opportunities they had in their life to accept God, but they turn them down, and they remember the good water they had now let us also note that this destiny is fixed all right 
Once you're there, you're there. You can't get out. You know, there's some denominations preach, well, there's a purgatory. And, and if, uh, if your sins aren't that bad, and they divided sin into mortal sin and venial sin, and if your sins aren't, if you just get a venial sin, and I was raised in that faith, all right? And if you just get, get a venial sin, well, then you can go to purgatory, get it burned off for a while, and then go to heaven. Well, folks, that isn't true, according to this text. You know, as a matter of fact, I researched that teaching. And, you know, um, in, in, in the year 187, the Pope was declared infallible. All right? He was God's representative on earth. If he spoke the word of God, he could speak the word of God and be declared in, infallible. All right? And then, in, 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 in the uh, year 998, he spoke as God declared the Friday fast, all right, which was a sin at one time, but now that he changed his mind about it, by the way. It's no longer a sin if you don't fast on Friday. And, uh, and, uh, um, and then he declared about mortal sin and venial sin in 1439 to the Pope declared purgatory to be a place, and you could pray your way out with Hail Marys. You know, I remember as a kid, we could get three years out of purgatory with a Hail Mary and five years out of, out of purgatory with the Lord's Prayer. Hmm? And, uh, and in 1950, the Pope declared, asked God, that the, the Virgin Mary uh, ascended to heaven, that she never died, you see. But... But, folks, truth doesn't change, let me tell you. Truth always stays the same. The eternal destiny is fixed on this side of the grave. Once you're on the other side, there's no way to change it. You see, the rich man, he accepted his fate. He had his chances. He blew it. He turned them down. And now a great gulf separated him from Lazarus, water, peace, and security. Okay? So now as he burned in the flame, he was reminded that his eternal destiny was fixed. Let's look at verse 27. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my house. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone comes from the dead and go to them, they will repent. And he said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and to the prophets, they will not be convinced even as someone rises from the dead. All right? Now, these verses are very interesting. The rich man, he must have been a very important man on this earth, you know, busy. He probably never had time to pray. But guess what? Now he has time to pray. I pray thee, Father Abraham, you see. Yeah, the rich man is praying. He'll keep on praying. He's probably praying to this very day, all right? But guess what? His prayers are going unanswered. Now, notice the text of this prayer. He's praying for his family and for his friends. He probably could have ignored them on this earth, but now since he cannot get out of hell, since he cannot obtain one drop of water, since his eternal destiny is fixed, and there's this great gulf that separates him from righteousness and peace, all of a sudden he becomes desperately interested in his brothers and prays to Abraham, 
to permit Lazarus to go back and warn them of hell. No, he didn't pray, send me back. He said, send Lazarus back. He knew, he knew his destiny was fixed. All right? Now, let me show you something here. If you die and you wake up in hell, you're going to be praying that your relatives won't come there. Folks, the most strongest love I've ever seen on this earth is the love that a mother has for her child. But guess what? There are mothers in hell praying they will never, ever see their children again. There are fathers in hell praying they'll never see their children. There are husbands praying they'll never see their wives. Wives praying they'll never see their husband. And the list goes on and on and on because the place is so terrible. You are not wanted in hell. People are praying that you won't go there. Isn't it kind of ironic that this rich man all of a sudden gets missionary-minded when on earth he couldn't even reach past his front gate to that beggar named Lazarus, you see? He wanted to keep his brothers, his family, out of that place of torment. And folks, I want to tell you something. According to his testimony, <laughs> hell isn't any little red schoolhouse, folks. It's not the place of correction. It's not a state of mind. It is a burning inferno. It is a city of fire where souls and spirits will roast and fry and boil and broil and sizzle in the flames day out and day in for all of eternity. And what was Abraham's response? You know, he says, they have the books of Moses and the prophets. Well, what does that mean? It means... They have the word of God. They have Moses and the prophets. They have the books of Moses. They have the word of God. And if they won't listen to the word of God, they wouldn't even listen to Lazarus if I sent him back from the dead. They have the warnings of Moses, of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel. They have the, the warnings of them all, but yet they won't listen to them either, you know? And if they refused them, they wouldn't even refuse Lazarus if he came back from the dead. And so ends the testimony of a man engrossed in the frames of hell. It began with the word, have mercy. It ends with the word, repent. And my friends, we have the word of God. We have the inspired inerrant scriptures if we ignore them we may join the rich man in an eternity of torment and what does the word of god say to us today very verily i say unto you he that heareth my word and believeth him that sent me has everlasting life he shall not come into damnation he has passed over from death to life for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. So then faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now you are clean through the word that I have spoken to you. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. And the word became 
flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. And as many as has received him, to them they have the power to become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were not born of blood, but nor of the will of the flesh, but, but born of God. Folks, these are all verses about the word of God. And the word was God. And the word was made flesh. And he was brought down to man. And he lived among us. And unlike the rich man, we do have one <coughs> that has returned from the dead. And his name is Jesus. He died. He rose from the dead according to the scriptures. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. And now he testifies, behold, I am he that liveth and was dead and, and now am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys to hell and of death. Friends, there is one alive today. There is one who returned from the grave. He took from the devil the keys of death and hell, and he's testifying to you today. Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, for I will give you rest. For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you done that? Have you called upon his name? Have, and in calling upon his name, have you surrendered your life to him? And having surrendered your life to him, you have made him the absolute Lord of your life and received him into your heart, and you are born again. Listen, folks, if you have the smallest, tiniest doubt right now, that you are not born of the Spirit of God, I want you to do one thing. I want you to come pray with me right now. Here, get on the ground, I'll give you a baby bottle. That's what I feel like doing. It's not my job, it's your job. I'll have classes in here. I had a class a while back that was going to teach you how to study the Bible. A few of you showed up. It was three, three weeks. A few of you showed up, maybe 10 or 15 people in the first week. The next week was about half that. And then you say, well, I'm not growing. You're not, you don't want to grow. You're happy being artistic. Or with this, you're happy with being self-centered. What's impossible with man is possible with God. And I'll have other people say, well, I want what you got. Fine. Then get on your knees and start praying never cease amen open up your bible every day spend a couple hours every morning pray to god humble yourself before god and pray that he opens your heart amen we have to get this narcissism out of our lives the story i want to tell you about bsf is the one that just changed my life completely and i had been in the church for a while I was growing up. I finally went to my first year in BSF, and I, everybody's heard this story, a lot of you, right? But see, a lot of people haven't. I couldn't speak in public. Vicki, where are you? It's dark. Am I, am I lying, Vicki? I couldn't speak to more than a few people. 
It scared the pants off of me. I couldn't do it. And, and, and even more, I wouldn't do it. You could offer me a $1,000 bill. I'm not doing it. 10000 maybe. Narcissism. So as that year round, wound down, they have the sharing night. I'm told, I don't know a lot of you heard the story, but a lot of you haven't. So. And I love this story. It changed my life. I always go back to those things that changed my life when things are struggling in my life. Amen? You think things are impossible for you? They're possible with God. You're not giving it to God. You've hung on to it. Is that last, last night appeared when you could stand up and talk? Everybody's talking for whatever long time it was. And I fought with God for the whole time. I had my hands on the front of that pew to squeeze, and I said, I will not stand. I have nothing to say. I can't stand. I won't stand. I've never done that. I'm not going to do it. What am I supposed to say, God? He never gave me anything to say. It was all me telling him what I wouldn't do. It does that sound familiar to you guys? Isn't that the height of narcissism? You trying to tell God what he can do in your life? God says it's impossible for you to stand. I know that, but it's possible with me. And so as I fought with God and struggled with God for that whole hour and a half, I don't remember what anybody said because I was too busy saying no to God. Did I have any idea that God was going to do things in my life? No. But I knew he wanted to, but I was saying no. I was saying no. And as I come to almost coming to a close, I sit there by myself. I know we, I can take you to that church and show you where I was sitting at the exact pew I was sitting into this day. They had that much impact in my life. And I finally found myself standing up. I don't know why, because I had said I wasn't standing up. Now listen, this is important, okay? Everybody listen? Because this is how God works. He takes what's impossible and makes it possible. I'm standing up. Before I realize I'm even standing up, the leader of the time, name was John. He says, Paul, what have you got to say? I don't know. I'm trying to figure out why I'm standing up. I didn't have it. Only thing, the one thing that God gave me to say was I love God with all my heart. That's all I had to say. That's all he wanted me to say. Amen? That, he made it possible for me to say that with about 100 and some men in the room. He made it possible. And the Bible says if we deny God in front of man, he'll deny us in front of the Father. I knew that that's what I had to say at that moment. He set me down. Tears running down from my face because some of the <clears throat> a drastic thing had happened in my life. He made it possible. For me to speak on his behalf. He made it possible. Now did it, everything change overnight? No. It took time. But God was working with me. He says when he sent me down I could fill up my soul. He says thank you. I can work with you now. Amen. Now some of you are going through issues in your life. You can't figure out why God's not working with you. Because you keep telling him no. You keep relying back on what's impossible possible with him. 
Amen? You want a dramatic change in your life? I mean, you really want this humility and love to come into your life? Then you've got to beg for it. You've got to ask for it. Amen? You've got to work for it. It's not your salvation. That comes at the cross. But you've got to allow yourself to let God move in and you move out. No matter the cost to what it costs you. No matter what it is. I got a good dose of humility that night. Amen? And I needed it. And to this day, it makes it just, I think of the miracle that happened that night. If it wasn't for that night, I would not be here. You got me? God puts us through these processes. And we grow, and we grow, and we climb, and we climb. And we keep going until the day he takes us home. Amen? See, I know something about God. He's real. He's absolutely real. He's absolutely real. He absolutely loves me. He absolutely loves this church. And he absolutely loves every one of you. He does. I know that. He has shown it to me over and over and over again. But every time I go back to that thing that's impossible, I, I start to push God away and start to say no again. But as long as my mindset said that no matter what it is, the hardest thing in my life was to quit sinning. Because he is possible in my life. Now, you can play around with God all you want. He's not going to compromise with you. He's not going to compromise with your sin. But if you truly want God, if you truly want everything he wants you to have, then you'll stand up and let go of that pew in front of you or that chair, whatever it is, and say, take me. And you'll mean it. And the next day, you'll get up, you'll do it all over again, and you'll say, take me. And he'll do it again. Every single day, from now to your death. There's no in-between. Everybody believe me? Have I yelled enough? Verse 13, one more time. For it is God who works in you. God worked in me to do that. Both to will and do his for his good pleasure. What was I doing that night? It was his good pleasure. Now, his good pleasure is years of good pleasure, as long as he lets me on this earth. It wasn't for just one time. It was over and over and over again. And there's nothing special about me or the Apostle Paul or Peter or none of us. God loves us all. He shows no jealous. There's no, there's no, he shows no difference in that love. It's you. If you're not growing in Christ, it's not Christ. It's you. It's you. Because of your artistic attitudes and ways. But he gives us a way out. Amen? It starts at the foot of the cross. It starts at the foot of the cross. And you'll never get too old to come to the foot of the cross. Amen? Never. Come on up, music team. These are the words of the week that are kind of long this week because I couldn't come up with anything shorter. Who, who can start the first word? The. The what? Battle. With. Narcissism. Is. Impossible. For man. To. Win. But. Through. Humility. 
Give it to him. Listen to me, this battle with narcissism, and, and, and I'm going to tell you, everything flows from this. If, you, if, you've got a, 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 if you're still a sinaholic, you've got addictions, you've got marriage problems, you've got financial problems, you've got work problems, it will all come from narcissism. You're putting yourself above others. Well, this job, I don't, I don't, everybody hates me. Well, why do they hate you? Could it be you? Well, of course not. Well, maybe it is. Go in with a different, go in with the mindset of God. Amen? At least if they hate you, it's because of good reason. But God, not you. The battle with narcissism is impossible for man to win. You'll never win. You'll always go back to it. But through humility, everything is possible with God. And humility is the key. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Tomorrow morning, when you get out of bed, whether you fall to your knees or, you're, or when you're making your bed or whatever you're doing, will you ask God to release humility in your life? Will you just say, Lord, show me humility? Because humility is the exact opposite of narcissism. Show me humility. Allow me to become the child you've asked me to be, that you want me to be. Quit holding on. Let God run your life. Let's stand. Open up the tables here in a minute and 